Esther chapter 3 and 4. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we get into it today, um, that you'd speak to our hearts. Um, This is an amazing two chapters, um, very applicable to um, our lives as we get closer and closer to your coming. We know that you're coming home or coming here to take us home to you. And um, there's going to be moments like these in our lives. These moments like Esther is going to go through here um, where we have a decision to make. We have choices to make. Um, to follow you or to follow man. And uh, we just pray that you'd help us to get it in our hearts now so that when those crossroads come, we're able to make the right choice. In Jesus' name, amen. God in Esther has installed his Savior, his deliverer, Esther. She's in place. She's queen. Through some very strange circumstances that are really hard to explain, and nor can we really teach them, because it's Babylon. That's what they do. Um, it's a worldly secular system, um, but God foreseeing this worldly secular system coming in conflict with his grand plan for a savior, and it, it, is, it comes to a, a head today um, as the line of Jesus, the, the nation of Jewish people, the Israel, Israelites, um, are about to be wiped out. God seeing that puts his deliverer in place, prepared and ready years before. Esther's going to be five years into her being queen, and, and so nine years into the things that set all these things in motion, and now, just now, it's starting to reveal, begin to become revealed what she's there for. We need to be very patient in our walk with the Lord. He puts us in positions and places and things and moves us around on the chessboard here, and we can't for the life of us figure out sometimes what in the world is this about? Why are we moved here? Why are we going there? What, what's the purpose of this? And we expect an answer within six months to a year. I do anyway. Or immediately, you know, I'm very impatient. Or I try to make it up. Well, I'm sure he wants me to do this, that, or the other thing. And I'll, and I'll start doing things that I think God wants me to do or he's put me in this position to do. And I think that's, that's understandable but sometimes it's years before it gets revealed as to why. Why there? Why then? That's why they say hindsight's twenty twenty. You look back on things and, oh, that's why. You know? Well, we're at that place here in chapter 3. Queen Esther's in her position through some weird events. And now our uh, enemy rises today. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the son of um, Hamadetha, the Agagite, which is another word for king, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Ham, uh, Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. Um, Haman is of the line of Esau. So um, in direct uh, Throughout Scripture, you'll have just this constant battle between good and evil, right? You've got Babylon versus Jerusalem. Um, you've got um, Esau here, who actually in Romans, God says he hated Esau. Um, it's the only person in the Bible God's ever stated out loud that he hated. Um, you have these examples of conflict. You, I mean, way at the beginning, uh, you have uh, Cain and Abel. There's just this constant battle going on between God's plan and Satan's worldly plan. Not that they're equal, 
but Satan has been trying to thwart throughout history God's plan of redemption for man, which has been in place before man was created. And so Satan comes down to earth and tries to trick Adam and Eve and does so and successfully, but that doesn't stop the plan. So he has Cain kill Abel, thinking he's killing the line of where the Messiah will come from, and that doesn't work because Seth is born. And God has this plan. Likewise, here we come much later on in in history, we see this Haman come to power for one purpose, and that's to wipe out the nation of Israel. But God has already foreseen that and has placed Esther in position to be the redemptress here. Amazing. Interesting. A great type of. But Mordecai, that's her cousin, would not bow down or pay homage, much older. Mordecai's that mentor, that older man in her life, sort of her father who had taken care of her, and it encouraged her to see what God's got for you here. we got to do our best. We've got to work in these circumstances. And so far, Mordecai has somewhat complied with what's been going on. But at this, he won't. When it comes to him personally, fine, use me however you want to use me, God. But when it comes to bowing down to a man, Mordecai, it says, would not bow or pay homage to this man. No, it's not going to happen. That's his line. He understands that to bow down to him is to not bow down to the king of the universe, to his God, to the one true living God. To him, it's absolute blasphemy to do anything other than bow down to the one true living God. We see that throughout here. see that with Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We see that with several of the people. I'm not going to bow down to you. There's no way. There comes a point where if you're going to ask me to choose between God and between you, you lose every time. And we all need to know where that is in our lives, where that line is. And you'll know spiritually. It isn't something that you can kind of plan on necessarily. You'll know in your heart, this is not right. There's a spirit about this thing that's happening. There's something wrong with this. Everything in me says no. And you get that sense that this is the line for you. And you need to hold that line. And But many people will come and say, come on, what's the big deal? And you've got to know in your heart that it's because you're being led by the Holy Spirit is why you're standing and making that stand. I've had that happen in many different times in my life. There's been moments in our ministry here at Calvary that I've been encouraged to do this, that, or the other thing. And for some reason, although it's normal, everybody in the world does it, and other, many, many other ministries do it, I just said, no. I don't know why. I can't explain it to you. I just say, that's not the direction God wants us to go. I really feel that way. Other times, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. Go do that. Let's do that. Whatever. But there are some times when things just come up, it's like, absolutely not. Same for my family. There's some times where I've been like, yeah, what's the big deal? And Jenny's like, absolutely not. I'm like, why? What's going on? I don't know. I just, it's just it. Well, what she said. <laughs> I'm with her. Because it was a negotiable. It was one of those things. It was like, ah, I don't know. I don't, does it matter? I mean, I don't see any problem with it. I see a big problem with it. Okay. Good. Then let's go that way. He, he's got a big problem with this. The law is bow down to Haman. Mordecai says, I will not obey your law. This is a law. Just keeping that clear. 
Then the king's servants who were within the king's gates or gate said to Mordecai, and here are our people that come into our lives that continually press us and pressure us. Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily that he would not listen to them, and they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. And here's, where, here's what his words were. His answer to that question, why, don't you, why do you transgress, why do you go against the command of the king, is he had told them that he was a Jew. I think we can apply that easily to our lives. Why do you transgress that command? Because I'm a Christian. That's it? You have anything to go off of? Anything else? No, it's because I'm a Christian. That's all he knows. I'm a Jew. I've been chosen by God. I'm to worship my king only. I'm to bow down to my king only. You are not my king. Um, no, I'm not going to do it. Throughout Babylon, they have that problem. They have this idea that the king is somehow deity, some sort of God. Egypt thought the same thing. In fact, it's just kind of commonplace in the secular world when a man reaches a certain level of power and position, he finds it unusual when people aren't sycophants around them, that they're not bowing down to him, that they're not doing what he's at. I mean, you can surround yourself with that many yes people that you wonder why, why is it, did you just say no to me? You know, yeah, nobody says no to me, you know. And so they say, that, okay, well, I'm God. And <laughs> basically is what they say, bow down to me. You will bow down. Uh, if you won't do it by through voluntary actions, you're going to be forced to do it. I'm going to make a law. Bow down to me. Because my pride can't handle the fact that you won't bow down, which is what's going to get Haman in trouble. But it's also going to spur Haman on is his pride. Mordecai is just being a normal Jew in captivity, but normal. He's done nothing. He's not looking for this Haman, trying to goad him, you know, and, and hurt him or to uh, tweak him. What do we call it? Trigger him. He's not doing it on purpose. He's done it. Haman's done it. Haman's the one that's come up with this idea that it bothers him that this guy... Mordecai won't bow down to him, and it's going to trigger him. He doesn't care whether everybody else in the world is bowing down. He won't. It's going to focus him and make him hate him. When people begin to look at you, and this is throughout history, I think, with Christians, they realize that you're not doing something because you're Christian, then Christianity's wrong in their eyes. And that's when the whole gets lumped in. It doesn't matter that you're just Mordecai, the Jew, who's kind of rebellious and kind of known for this and kind of mouthy and all that. It, it isn't that you're a personality, uh, your personality traits bother me or that you're quirky. You know, it's because you're a Jew. And so all Jews get lumped into his group. And so Haman begins to hate. So they're asking him, why won't you do this? Why won't you do this? He told him, because I'm a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai, the Jewish people. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the, the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. I want them all dead. 
I don't want him dead. He, he, he is claiming that his philosophy or his life uh, uh, path, because that's how the world sees it, is causing him to not do what I've asked him to do, what I've commanded him to do. Therefore, anybody with this life path, anybody that's made this decision or this philosophy to follow this way is a threat to me. That's going to happen to us if it hasn't happened already. As Christians, I hope you understand this is going to happen to us. The Bible tells us this is going to happen to us. It has happened in the past, and it will happen one final time, big time, and will continue until that big time. I mean, it's just a constant thing. This is going to happen to you. And you've got to decide whether your Christianity is strong enough to maintain that kind of pressure. Why do you disobey the king's command? Why do you disobey? Because I'm a Christian. Because I'm a Christian. Is that all you got? Is that you big parrot? Is that all you can say? Because I follow Jesus. I can't do that. And we've got to get to that place where we know that we can hold our ground, that we can stand there. We don't want to be a weak people. He's not given us a spirit of timidity, but one of power and might. It's his spirit. His Holy Spirit in us has given us that ability to stand. It's in Christ I stand. We teach that. We know that. Many will succumb to this kind of peer pressure. Many will say they'll either get worn down or it's not worth it or they'll justify a compromise. And it's a horrible place to be. And, and, you know, God won't let that person sleep. That pillow at night is very hard to the person who's compromised. It just is. Because you know the Holy Spirit is probably the worst thing and the best thing that's ever happened to a Christian. The best thing is he leads and guides us into all the truth. But when we disobey that truth, he's the worst person to have in your life. Because he will not leave you alone. You know that was wrong, right? Yeah, I know. I'm just reminding you, you know that was wrong, right? Okay, I got it. No, you're wrong. You need to change your course. You need to change your path. I'm getting kind of annoyed, you know. Always there telling me that I'm wrong. Leave me in peace in my sin. Nope. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan in the 12th year, King Ahasuerus, uh, they cast pur, that is the lot, before Haman, to determine the day and the month until it fell in the twelfth month, which is in the month of Adar. This is five years into her ministry. That's why we have that date there. The writer here is telling us we're five years into her uh, being a queen. That this lot, and that's why we they you 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 celebrate Purim. That's Jews do that celebration I was telling you about last week, Purim, um, because it's at this moment right here that they've decided this is the day in which we wipe out and annihilate all the Jews. They date it. And they forecast it, and they telegraph it to everybody in the, in the country. This is the day we all turn and kill the Jews and steal everything they have. A horrible day for them. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all the other people's, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. 
If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver, it's about a million bucks, into the hands of those who do the work and bring it into the king's treasury. I'll even cover the cost of exterminating these people. They don't obey the king's... Is that true? They didn't obey one of the king's laws, but are they every single day breaking every single law? No. But that was enough. Didn't you tell everybody they're supposed to pay homage to me? Yeah, I did. Well, he doesn't. They break the laws of the king. Okay. So we're going to wipe them all out because of one guy. We're supposed to be a peculiar people. Titus chapter 2, verses four, verse 14. You got to look up in the King James. That's where it says it. It uses the word peculiar. I like that word better than uh, special. Special seems to get overused, but, and I want to be special. You know, who doesn't? You know, you're super special. Well, thank you. Everybody's special. Well, then nobody's special, you know, kind of thing. But when you call someone your peculiar, that kind of fits Christians a little bit better, I think, than special. Because the world doesn't see you as necessarily, you're so special as a Christian. I wish I was one for the most part. But they will say, man, you're peculiar, you know, with a little twinkle in their eye. We're called to that. It says to be zealous for the Lord to the point where the world looks at you and says, you're kind of peculiar. I am peculiar, you know. I'll own that. They break the king's laws. They don't break the king's laws, all of them, but they they do. When it comes in conflict with God's law, they absolutely break the king's law. God's law always, always supersedes man's law, always. If they ever come into conflict, we obey man. We obey God. That's it. Um, there's no question about it. And we need to know that. And, and if you haven't settled that in your heart, you got to get that settled in your heart. When it comes between God's law, when it comes in direct conflict with man's law, God's law wins. Always. Always. So he tries to explain to the king that this guy's a peculiar person. He is a breaker of the law. If it pleases the king, since this guy doesn't like you, now he's not really telling him which law. He doesn't come right in and say, they won't bow down to me, because that's kind of whiny. He says, you know, you're a great king, and they won't obey your laws. He doesn't tell him which one it is that happens to do with him specifically. And so the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman. That's a big deal. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the password. That's the code. That's... That's how you get things done. And if it doesn't have this, there's only one of these in the world, and I wear it. If it doesn't have the signet on it, it doesn't go. It isn't from me. It's counterfeit. It's whatever. This is it. He gives that to Haman to do whatever he wants to do. It's a blank check, basically. Yeah, do whatever you need to do. He gave it to Haman, the son of um, Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. So I'm not even really worried about the bribe you just offered me. You go ahead and do whatever needs to happen. I trust you, Haman. I mean, he didn't get put in that position because he's untrustworthy. I put you in this position because I think you're about the most important person in my life. One I can trust and a good advisor. So whatever you think. That's a dangerous thing. I'm all for advisors in our lives. I think we should have advisors in our lives, but you better make sure that there's no self-interest involved with those advisors, that they're not looking out for, I don't know, something that they can benefit from you. It's a dangerous thing. 
He doesn't even give it a second thought. Go for it. Doesn't ask him what laws, what incidents, doesn't investigate, just says, go for it. Then the king's scribes were called in the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded. To the king's satraps, to the governors who were uh, over each province, to the officials of all people, every province according to its script. So in other words, there are many, many different peoples. It's a melting pot here. But they're all speaking their own language still. They're all kind of living their own, you know, they, they congregate together um, according to their ethnic backgrounds. And so they're sending it out to make sure everybody understands this. It's written in everybody's language. Very clear. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews. I mean, Wow. I mean, one of those words would have been enough. Whenever you see something written like that, you know there's some emotion attached to it, you know? And we're going to kill all the Jews, or we're going to annihilate all the Jews, or we're going to destroy all the Jews. But when you say we're going to, we're going to destroy them, we're going to kill them, we're going to annihilate them, some issue here, you know? We're going to kill both the young, the old, the little children, the women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions, that's probably a little incentive. And whoever you kill, you get to take their stuff. In case you're not bloodthirsty, we could at least get you greedy. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people that they should be ready for that day. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, the night before, by sharpening their machetes or whatever they're doing or their spears. Tomorrow's the day. The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink and think anything of it. But the city of Shushan was perplexed or confused. Of course they are. What? I mean, these are people, you, your neighbors. These are people you've grown up with. They, they send this off like, oh, by the way, be sure and kill all the Jews this day. At ease, kind of thing. No, not at ease. This is confusing. This is perplexing. This is strange. Why? I mean, there's many, many Jews in this city. Many relationships. And you want me just to go out and kill Levi, the downstairs downstairs neighbor or whatever. You know, what is this about? What's interesting to me is in this chapter four is that Esther is insulated from all this. She doesn't know what's happening. And I think that's maybe willful, or maybe that's just what they do. Maybe the women's house, remember they kept all the women? I mean, she's got her own palace now by now, but maybe they just weren't informed. But this is kind of because everybody else in the country is informed about it. But for some reason, in chapter 4, she doesn't know what's going on. And I don't know that she wants to, because when she hears from Mordecai here, or her cousin, when she hears from him, She's not excited about the news, nor is she excited about being a part of the plan. And so I kind of take that with all, you know, you try to put all that together. Um, and I, I'm trying not to springboard into something, which is a teaching method where you take something and you say, good, finally I can talk about what I really want to talk about here, you know, and you jump on some kind of rabbit trail. But I think we need as Christians to be informed. I think it's important. 
I think we need to know what's going on in the world. You need to know what's going on all around you. Now, many of you are like, well, yeah, of course, but a lot would rather not know. I'd just rather not be paying attention. It doesn't bother me. It hasn't affected me. It's not going to touch me. It has nothing to do with me. That's on the West Coast. That's on the East Coast. That's over there in that country, not over here. In this, It's too far away for me to be burdened with it. I think we need to know. I think it prepares us and gets our minds and our hearts stirred for not only action, but at least prayer. Begin to pray. As we see, I mean, every day you hear the Taliban are just moving through Afghanistan right now. Moving through and taking over and conquering all these cities. And I'm not sure there's a whole lot of resistance right now. I mean, I think they drive in with their guns and they will shoot somebody if they have to. But most people are like, I don't have a gun. I've got this hoe that I found, you know. Yeah, take it, you know. Or they're complicit. They're for it. Um, but we see that happening. And, and as a former military guy, there's my, I snuck that in there again. You can't help but wonder about all those people, all of our, all of our guys and gals that died holding that ground. And now because of an administration change and because of withdrawal, all of a sudden that ground is all lost. I mean, it's just evaporated. And it's like, okay. It's like, take that hill. And then in negotiations, they give that hill up. And thousands of people died on that hill. Okay, well, why did we even try for that hill? What we need is a negotiation tactic. Okay. To be praying about these things, what's happening here? To watch the Antifa people and, 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 and the... The anti-vaxxers fighting in the streets, okay? What's that about? We need to pray. Uh, I mean, what does Antifa have to do with anti-vaxxing? Why is that an issue? Why would they even be angry? Why would they even throw down on something like that? What, what does one have to do with the other? I better be praying about this. Or any other thing you see, at least it sparks us to pray. She's uninformed. Might be her fault. Might be that she's just insulated. Verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. We don't want any of that mourning stuff going on here. You dress up, you wash your face, and you show up presentable. So that's as close as you can get. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Many people understood this. Many people were publicly mourning what was about to happen. Of course you would. You just had a, a death sentence placed on an entire population. And that population is now sick with fear because it's not exactly like they're victorious there where they're living. I mean, they're in submission to this king. And so they know that every one of their neighbors, anybody that's ever had a grudge against them now has an excuse and permission to kill them on a certain day. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, about her, about Mordecai. She doesn't know why. Hey, did you hear that Mordecai's in sackcloth and ashes? Well, what's wrong with Mordecai? You get him a new set of clothes, she says. You send those clothes out to him. You get him the 
nice, shiny new set of clothes and send them out there. I'm not making fun of her. But sometimes there's a reason to mourn, and I'm guilty of this, and we've talked about this in the past. And when you see somebody else mourning, my natural inclination is to get them out of that funk or to help them with their situation or to cheer them up, you know. And that's not always what needs to happen. Sometimes they need to mourn. Sometimes when someone's mourning over a sin that they've gotten caught in, or it's, it's, it's caused destruction in their life. As a pastor, or as, not as a pastor, more as a man, I show up, I'm like, you know what? God forgives, and he loves you, and, he, he does. and that's true. But there are times when that needs to set a little bit longer with that person, and they need to come to that conclusion to receive that forgiveness from God after they've gone through this mourning and repentance that needs to happen in their life. Because if I encourage them, how oh, God will forgive that every time? And I didn't say that. I mean, yeah, yeah, every time. But you're not supposed to go do it anymore. Well, yeah, but he'll forgive me, right? Yeah, you know, you need to let that sit. So she's trying to cheer up Mordecai. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him but he would not accept them. Good man. Then Esther called um, Hathach, <laughs> uh, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend to her, and he gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. Why is this happening? So um, Hathach went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him, of all that had happened to him, and the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, in case they you know, didn't believe him. Here's what it says, which was given to, uh, at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, that he might command her. So now Mordecai is giving her a command to go into the king to make supplication to him and to plead for him, before him, for her people, so that Hathach returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Well, here's why he's upset. Read this. Ooh, wow. And she's upset by it, but she doesn't think she's going to be touched by it. Oh, that's horrible. Ooh. Ooh. You know. He wants me to do what? He wants you to go in and talk to the king and let him know that this is happening and that you're to plead for your people. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget, even though you've kept it a secret, that this is the time. You need to share. This is important to you, that it's your people. That's what Mordecai is saying. I know I told you to keep it quiet, but now I want you to plead on behalf of your people. So Esther responded and spoke to this eunuch and gave him a command for Mordecai. You tell Mordecai this. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except for the one he, the king holds out the golden scepter, and he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. I understand what you want me to do, but to go in there is death. I cannot go in there. He doesn't call for me. I got to wait for him to call me. I know it's urgent, but unless he calls me, he, I'm dead. Mordecai's saying, you don't understand. You forget you're Jewish? You forget who you are? You're dead anyway, woman. You think you're going to avoid this? You're not thinking straight. 
she has gotten to a, a place of, of I'm going to do this, I'm going to get put in this position, and she's discovered it's not that bad five years later. I'm queen. I haven't had to see the king in 30 days, living like a queen. We can get lulled into complacency as Christians. That's not so bad. I mean, nobody really knows here, this new place where I'm working, that I'm really a Christian. Nobody really knows that I follow the Lord and nobody's asked. And I don't know. It's nice to be able to talk to people in the break room without them looking at me funny or whispering behind my back. Kind of nice. There's going to come a time when you're going to have to stand up. And the more you get lulled into that complacent acceptance, whatever, when the time comes, it's going to be even harder to stand up. To say, "Uh, I'm a Christian, I don't do that. You're a Christian? I would have never thought. I'm a Christian. Oh, we should have been ostracizing you much sooner than we are going to start today. And you know that's going to hit. You know it's going to happen. I haven't been called. I can't go in. He's going to kill me. That's just the way it is. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Okay, (laughs) tell her this. Do not think in your heart you will escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That's the famous line, right? It's attached to a much different context, isn't it? We always say, well, for such a time as this, I've been called. For such a time as this, you've been called, Greg, you know, here for such a, Steve, and for such a time as this, yes, for such a time Well, it starts off with a serious rebuke. Do not think in your heart that you're going to escape the king's palace any more than the other Jews. You're going to die. You need to do this. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from that. Now, that's wonderful faith on Mordecai's part. You have the opportunity, Esther, to be a part of the solution or part of the problem, but the solution will come. God will take care of it. God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And that's the same for us. We have opportunities where we can walk in the Spirit and be moved by the Holy Spirit and step out of our comfort zone and do things that we never thought we'd do. Or we can remain silent and stay under the radar and stay stealthy Christian mode and God will use somebody else. But you're going to perish if you remain silent. Now, it's kind of a mixed thing here that he's got going on. I don't know if you caught it or not. You know, um, There is going to be a deliverer and it may not be you, but this deliverer isn't going to deliver you. I mean, it's what he's saying. We may all get delivered from another deliverer if it's not you, but you and your family are going to die. I don't know what he means by that or how he thinks that's all going to go down, but he states it, makes her understand. So Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, nights, or three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Good for her. She's very concerned about it, though, and should be, you know. I don't think it's any coincidence here, just that it's three days and three nights that she has this 
moment where when I walk into this room, I'm dead. The, the golden scepter being handed out wasn't like a 50-50 shot. For him to hold out that golden scepter had to be super special circumstances because for the most part, anybody that comes to that door that's not been invited is not coming in for good reasons. They're coming in to assassinate. They're coming in because they're rebellious or there's something wrong with them. And so we just made sure everybody knows if you're not invited, you get killed. It'd be like you showing up at the White House, maybe. You know, I, well, you wouldn't knock. You'd hop the fence, do a little dodge, whatever you'd have to do. You wouldn't get very far, but you'd try. Get in the front door, get into the West Wing. <laughs> Is Biden busy? Let's <laughs> stick my head in the door or whatever. You wouldn't get that far. That's the idea. It's that bad. And so imagine yourself in that position. God wants you, or actually, it's not even God talking to her. Your cousin came up to you. Better be a good cousin, right? I want you to go storm the gates of the White House, stick your head in the Oval Office, and plead on behalf of our problem over here. Brings it home. Of course they're going to pray and fast. This is not going to go well, you know. If you could even get to the place where the king can see you with this golden scepter, that's a miracle in and of itself. So she has him pray. She's concerned, but she's willing to do it. Now, I don't think she's doing this for self-preservation. I don't think she's doing it in my opinion, and this is my opinion, as I read this, you can see that she almost regrets what she had just said to Mordecai about not going in. I don't want to go in. I mean, he'll kill me. Okay, honey. Okay. Big picture here. The entire race is going to die. You still want to not go in? I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I understand. Now, you know, you get that little twinge, that little knee-jerk reaction. That's all she's had. So as much as I'm giving her a hard time today, she's just working, working through this news. She's just heard about the annihilation of the entire people. She's just heard that Mordecai's in sackcloth and ashes. She's just heard from her cousin that she's the one that's got to go talk, that it's for this time, for such a time as this, that God has put you in. Remember how weird we thought this was, sister? Remember how bizarre we thought it was that you're going in the palace, how worried we were, and how of all those women, you got picked? And you didn't even want to be there necessarily. I mean, remember how weird that was five years ago? I mean, he had to say all that, but that's the idea. Boy, apply that to your life. When weird things happen and you get moved in a direction, you're like, what is, this is so not what I thought was going to happen. Why? You know. So welcome to episode five of Farm Life in J.D. Dirks and Jenny Dirks's. Everybody wants five acres or 10 acres outside city limits. I'm a real estate agent. Everybody wants five. Hey, let me know if five or 10 acres comes up. Okay. Sorry, but yeah, okay. <laughs> so some of you need to buy 100 acres, divide it up into 10-acre lots, and sell them off because you'd make a million dollars doing that because that's all anybody wants. But 80 acres? And Big, dumb cows that don't do what you tell them to do? 
big, dumb, strong cows. We haltered them up yesterday to get them into there. Move them from the round pet because we finally found Buddy. Buddy the fugitive. We found him and brought him into Freya, his mother. They're kind of weird because by now they should not like each other as much as they do. But they licking each other, just bizarre. Okay. I'm new to animal husbandry. This is all being new to me. So we're going to move them into the field. So we're going to lure them with feed like everybody told us. Oh, give them that feed. They're just going to follow you. They'll follow you. Not if they see the corn pasture across the road. They just go, they just start walking. Jenny is literally water skiing behind the buddy, the black cow. I'm like, honey, you got to let go. You got to let go. I'm like, he's just going to take her. Oh, she's good. Put GPS on Jenny. That's how I'll find the cow. We got him in. I knew you were all worried. I finally panicked at road at the road. They're just looking at me like around me, like, how do we get past this guy? I just spazzed out. Ah, I just freaked out. Whoa, what the? And they walk the other way. I'm like, I know that's not probably what you do, but that's what I did. And it reminded me a lot of ministry when we first started this church. How in the world do you do this? You're a pastor of five people, and then it's 10, and then it's 20, and then it's 30. And half the time you're going, yeah, stop sinning, you know, kind of thing. And you don't know what to do with people. Slowly but surely, you kind of figure things out. Every once in a while, I still do, yeah, you know, with some of you. (laughs) And so God has got us in this new venture of faith because we want 10 acres, not this. What is this about? This isn't fun. I mean, it is. I'm beautiful. I'm not complaining, but it's it's chosen by God for us. We really believe that. Aren't you worried about windmills getting put up? If they get put up, they get put up. We know exactly where God wants us. He wants us here. The gates that opened up for us to show up here are absolutely supernatural and miraculous. We should not be standing on this property, but we are. I don't know if you know the story. And I don't want to take too much time, but I've got a little bit of time. But the, Mrs. Scarborough put this place up for sale, and I did the footage on it for Brian Twaddle, who listed it. Well, this is nice, you know, taking, this is not what I do, but this is for you guys. I did the pictures and did all that. We put it online. And it was on the market for a year and a half or so, or not, not quite a year and a half, long time. And then... All of a sudden, she had said to Brian, I just wish a young family would, you know, someone with kids, well, young, 51, but I'll take it, um, with, with kids, would just really like that. Okay, so great. So we, we decided to make, try to, where are we at with our house? Our house sold for like way more than what, what I thought. Cash offer, first day. What? Full price? Are you kidding me? Which enabled us to be able to put at least the down payment on this next phase of this house. So we go in to talk to this woman because we can't get all of it. We can only get half of it, the acreage with the land, but we know that God wants us to have all of it. Is there any way we can work this out? Sure. Sure. Yeah, sure. She just worked it out. And she goes, you know, my husband's name's JD. JD looks at me. I'm like, okay, that's a lot of people named JD out there. He was a pastor too. Oh, that's getting weird, you know, and we just sat down at her, at her dinner table, 
So you can find us over for lunch table. Dinner, you guys call it dinner. It's okay. Um, it's not. It's lunch, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I just had this wonderful conversation with this lady. She cried, and we ministered to her, went back and forth. It was just a... And so all I'm saying is, like 2001, this is our 20th year of ministry here at Calvary Chapel, if you didn't know. Like 2001, when we stand there and teaching these people that we don't know what we're doing as far as ministry goes, we stand at another moment 20 years later looking at 80 acres and two stupid cows and, you know, which we love, of course, because God gave them to us, but what are we doing? No, you can't walk away from it. No, you can't change your mind. No, you can't. This is something God has for us. And so I don't know what is happening or why it's happening or why now is the time at 51 you start farming or ranching or whatever it is that we do now. But there's a purpose for this, much like what we're reading here. I know that for a fact. It's a stage that Jenny and I are moving into when we should be finding a patio home with, you know, level floors, you know, and walk-in bathrooms and those kind of things. We know that. That's the time for that. And then go visit grandkids. And it's not a dream or something that we had. It's just way different. But I know this for a fact. I know my God. I know his Holy Spirit. I know the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I know that when we look back 10 years from now, we're going to go, duh, of course. Of course that's why we're here. Of course, that's why this is happening. Of course, that's why it was that time and not this time, and it was perfect. And just if we just take each day and do what God has for us, haltering a cow and learning that they don't want to be haltered, we learned we learned so much yesterday and the day before. We just learn, 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 figuring it all out, just like we did ministry. Just keep walking in the next thing every single day, and this is for all of us, every single one of us. God has a plan for every one of our lives. You're right where you're supposed to be. You're doing the job. You're, suppo- you're right there. You do the next thing in front of you as unto the Lord, and you take that step, and you learn, or you have a bad day, or you have a good day, or whatever, and then you take the next step, and you keep moving. And when you look back, you see all the people, and you see, like on a boat, the wake of ministry behind your life. Oh. We had a situation at camp where there were, two young ladies that were able to attend, but through horrible circumstances. And yet, although the horrible circumstances were horrible circumstances, without those circumstances, they would have never come to camp. They would have never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior at this time. Anyway, I know God can do other things. And they were baptized last Sunday, these two little girls. You know? God does that with every one of us, and I hope you see that. And don't wish away or pray away what you're in right now. Look for the Lord and what he wants to do with you right now. For such a time as this, you are where you are and doing what you're supposed to be doing. Keep your eyes wide open spiritually, and whether you understand it or not, you take that step, and when you look back five or ten years from now, you'll be like, that's why I was still there when I didn't want to be, or that's why I got moved on when I didn't want to be moved on, or that's why. It's very clear. I just want to encourage you in that. Verse 17, Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. She did exactly what he said. It's going to work out great. 
spoiler alert, this can work out perfectly. This can work out so cool in the next few weeks when we go through this. If you've never read this book, this is so neat how this works out. God not only teaches Mordecai to stand strong in the midst of adversity, teaches Esther to stand up in the midst of comfort. He could have just killed Haman if he wanted to. God can give heart attacks or do whatever he wants to do just like that. Didn't. He's going to use it. He's going to bring Haman low. He's going to humble him. He's going to exalt the Jewish people. He's going to do so much in this one event right here. God is just working in so many different ways in our lives. Be encouraged in that. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful book that never mentions your name, nor is prayer ever done. Here it is. Um, we just, in our own lives, help us to see. Help us to see. Um, maybe not. Maybe that's the wrong way to pray, God. Help us just to trust you whether we see or not, that what you have for us right now is what you have for us, and it's awesome, it's great. Help us to walk in it, bringing you glory in it, whatever it is, exalting you, um, making your name famous. That's what we want. And we know from our own experiences and and from reading your word that when we look back, we're going to see all the things you did through our obedience. Lord, just help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a good rest of the day. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.